hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Jordan Fermanis and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights, and this week we're discussing the anti-work movement. I sort of have no idea what we're talking about with this. I don't know what the anti-work movement is. I'm guessing it's somehow pandemic related and to do with people working from home more. Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Um, and and also, is it you You claimed um, in our show notes that we do before that we predicted this? Well, I mean, you but know. I can't even I, remember what it was. Okay, so. well, back in April 2020, mm. if you can remember... In the early days of the pandemic, yes. when we were killing each other for toilet roll, yes, yeah, and trying to, and and your auntie couldn't work Zoom, yes. So that that we did a podcast which was looking at what are the potential benefits. That's right, I remember from, this from the pandemic. Yeah, you know, um, and the, as well as predicting uh, the the creation of the COVID vaccine and um, and the fact that GDP would return to trend rapidly, which it seems to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we also said that there might be a, a major shift in work patterns. It might mm. be that this would lead people to discover new ways of working. Mm. But we also, if you remember, we discussed this analogy with the uh, the Black Death. So you remember what happened in the Black Death? You remember, Fraser? You remember I that. do remember. So it wasn't like three out of every four people died yeah, or something. Yeah, about 40% of the European population or something died. Mm. And and the one of the interesting results was um, that peasants suddenly had a lot of power because lords needed to pay they them more. They had more bargaining power, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and so, hey, presto, you know, peasants started saying things like, you know what, I'd like it if you didn't run me over with your horse all the time and, and I'd like another extra groat yeah. uh, for, for farming and yeah. all of that. So, um, so you know, and, and I think we said it might be that we'll see something like that happening. Lo and behold, yeah, go on. Lo and behold, well, so in uh, at the roughly the beginning of uh, the pandemic, there's a, a Reddit, uh, a subreddit called Anti Work, and it had about uh, you know not none, but about ninety thousand subscribers on this uh, this Anti Work uh, subreddit, and just about a month ago. It had 1.6 million subscribers. Good Lord. So during the course of the pandemic, we'd got, you know, 160 times um, more, no, 16 times more people have, have joined that uh, that subreddit. Uh, it's been in the news again recently because there was a slightly embarrassing interview by one of the mods, one of the people who runs that subreddit, who was on Fox News and was basically arguing that anti-work is the future. But everyone agreed that they kind of looked like someone who was um, a bit of a wastrel with an unmade bed uh, <laughs> in a dingy apartment. And so it's been a bit, I think it's been a bit embarrassing for that subreddit. But we want to ignore that. You know, yes. we, we decided we were talking about this before that happened. Yeah. And the interesting question then is, you know, well, first of all, is is it real? Is there really, are people, is it feeding through into people's decisions about where to work? Um, but also, you know, is this uh, is it a good thing that people are sort of questioning, I suppose, whether and how we work? And then, uh, you know, what could it mean for the future if we all sort of gradually decide we're not working anymore? Thanks. Yeah. Nice. I like this. Um, I mean, one of the things I hope we'll cover is I'd be interested to see if we think of that established work pattern um that we all feel familiar with let's say you're sort of middle class and you know middle income type person you go off and sit in an office somewhere maybe you commute there um 
and that feels very normal for millions of us mm. um, around the world even you know uh, how, how normal is that really how long has that mm. been around and we might talk about you know manual labor and things like that I'd be interested to see where we go with this from what we've talked about so far Jordan what would you like to bound in with and contribute well here? yeah when I, I think that um, anti-work had a bit of a seminal moment with the with the pandemic um, I was looking at sort of this concept called the great resignation yeah where apparently millions of especially younger people it's quite a prevalent term um, now you're hearing it yeah, a lot but yeah yeah, yeah. In, in europe and the u.s and sort of around the world really um resigned from from their jobs during the pandemic for reasons such as they weren't adequate flexible working arrangements or they didn't offer sick pay or these sort of um statutory things weren't included in their contracts and so they resigned and I think that is sort of a demonstration of anti-work in action. Um, and I think that the, the pandemic sort of probably made people reevaluate their current working life and wanted to sort of question whether it was working for them. And if something like a pandemic uprooted them quite drastically looking for other alternatives. Yeah, I mean, wasn't it sort of, um, as you say, you know, I go into my job every day as, you know, selling uh, life insurance or whatever and you know schlepping the way into office and dreary hanging out with people I don't like and then suddenly when you're stuck at home in your bedroom you go actually this is all right I, can't, I quite like this and you know it turns out in my interview when I said I was passionate about you know calculating insurance premiums whatever no it turns out no I actually just like sitting at home playing xbox I don't like work this is good I mean what we've discovered is working isn't fun perhaps <laughs> and and you know uh that's why they pay us to do it if it was fun, we'd be doing it for free. Right. So, you know, well, why didn't we know that before? Mm. But the other thing I want to say, actually, is I don't think it's totally clear from the stats that this great resignation is necessarily a thing. Mm-hmm. There's some we- really weird stuff, as you'd expect, happening with job market data mm. over the last two years. Mm. But I think partly uh, what we've seen is people not move it from their jobs. Right. So there has been for the last couple of years, you know, people haven't been looking for new jobs. And if you look at like job leavers in the US as a percentage of the unemployed, it's plummeted mm. at the beginning of the uh, lockdown. Um, and, and, I, and it's hard to know exactly what's going on there. But um, my, there is a hypothesis, I think, that this is pent up job movement. So basically people have sure. sat there. They've had their, you know, their what was that thing called that they had? Uh, Coronavirus? No, the thing which where they get paid two-thirds of your uh, furlough uh, furlough so mm. we, you know they're happy to get the furlough and and also hold know, on to your job during right right uh, because it seems times. uncertain so you don't want to go and now and, and now i think it could simply be that everyone is all the movement that would have been spread out over two years is kind of all happening at once you're much like you and i you know inflation's rising as well very could be a similar thing you know pent-up demand for all kinds of consumer goods mm. um and uh and you know things like holidays you can imagine they're going to be hugely oversubscribed so i think we, that might be it but i don't want to distract you know i don't get bogged down in a discussion about whether that's true because i think what is undeniable is that this the pandemic has given people a new perspective on work okay. uh, and so you know i think that's what I just want to flag up. I think that it's not a given that this is some big permanent shift. Because if we suddenly see freelance yoga teachers everywhere who used to be insurance salesmen, then we know that maybe it is a thing. But until that time, let's 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 wait. Right? Yeah, could Um, be. Yeah. I mean, we want to talk about. I don't like this phrase anti-work. It just it sounds okay. Let me distinct. I just want to draw a distinction. Yeah. So work as production, and work as a job. 
right? So let's just, you know, almost like what it is you're doing and how it is you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think work as production is part of the human condition. We cannot yet just have free stuff. Mm. We have to make that stuff. We've got to go out and get it. Hunter-gatherers still have to do the hunter hunting and gathering. Mm. Um, I think this it maybe is more about this whole structure of you have a, a big employer. You all go and work for the employer. Yeah. You turn up at a certain time. You go home at a certain time. Yes. You, you, you know, you've got very little control over that, yes. by and large. Um, is that... How could we fundamentally... I mean, would we want to ch fundamentally change that? Is that, is that? is that bad? Or is it... You know, is it the case that actually we've evolved that that lifestyle? Because in some ways it's better. You know, we get guaranteed income. You know, we've got no that we have free time that we can spend. We're, we're certainly richer as a result of having this sort of structure, probably. Mm. Uh, so, you know, does it have hidden benefits? Gotcha, yeah. Thank you. I feel that you've brought us back on track there. That's nice. Uh, Jordan, pick that up. Yeah, I, um, I came across this concept of bullshit jobs, um, which okay. is anthropologist David Graeber identified as jobs that are sort of meaningless or unnecessary wage labor. Um, and he sort of talks about the bullshitization of certain jobs um, through corp corporatization um, or, or just through changes in, in the development of a certain profession. So he talks about how academia has become more managerial and administrative and how it's sort of, it's sucked out. It's the meaning from sort of what the job used to entail. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is sort of also an indication of it, this kind of changing idea of uh, how we see how we see work and what we sort of what we want to get out of work and how how we sort of participate in society um, through work as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting the bullshit jobs uh, idea because uh, it really resonated with people. I think he died recently, actually died like last year or something. But he, uh, you know, it was quite. A, it was sort of like he was writing down something that everyone agreed. It was like, look, there's all these jobs in my company which are, you know, called things like, you know, uh, communications uh, advisory consultants and all of these things. And nobody, all people do is sit there at their desk, you know, filling in spreadsheets and emailing, and no one is doing anything. Like, what are we doing? What are most people in the company actually creating? But all and, the Although it seems that that had resonance with people. Like sure. They recognised that from their own jobs and from the jobs of the people around them. But doesn't this tie into what we don't didn't want to talk about, which is um, you're the economist. It's where, you know, in an efficient job market, let's say, that um, all the jobs that exist in a competitive market have to exist or something like is, is Am I on the right track there? And shouldn't that have been um, sort of, shouldn't that have been washed out right. in, in, in when loads of people get made redundant? And that the right jobs get made yeah, redundant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the question is: Is the labour market like super ultra efficient? And I think the answer is clearly mm, no. No. From a, I mean, it's a messy sort of market. It's not like the market for baked beans, where you have hundreds of baked beans and they're all the same, and you just pick the brand you like and you buy it and you know what you're getting. The job market is every person is different and every job is different and every company is different, and it's a bit mm. more like the housing market. And the housing market is. A bit of a mess and the trends you know will work but there's a lot of friction and um and so and so it's perfectly possible i think for there to be long-term uh disequilibrium in in the labor market you know that actually every everyone might be doing things that are inefficient and it's very hard to, or very slow to drag that towards uh, an outcome which is efficient but yeah so that means that um there must be these bullshitty jobs out there um and keep keep going jordan so develop that no i just think um 
that this uh, this refusal to work, this sort of anti-work movement, kind of takes different shapes and forms and probably stretches back further than we sort of realise. I came across a book by this French Cuban socialist called <laughs> Paul uh, Lafargue called The Right to Be Lazy. Yeah. Um, and he was sort of he sort of was arguing that wage labour was tantamount to slavery mm. and that we should all just sort of stop working, indulge in our pleasures, have time for play, family, passions, interests, that sort of thing. Similar to something that the techno-utopiasts of today would say with um, automation, that maybe machines can do all the work that we don't want to do in the future and that we'll just be left to enjoy ourselves. I think there is sort of like, there's a latent kind of feeling amongst people to have more leisure time and free time. And there are sort of different concepts out there and different movements that people attach themselves to to try and sort of push for that. What's your personal response to that? Do you I, agree? What do you think? Well, yeah, in a way. I'm, I, I do have sympathy with the movement in the sense that um, I think, yeah, there are sort of, sometimes you do feel constrained by having to work, like, you know, just a five-day five work week or having to put in some out. And you, there are other things you would probably like to be pursuing that you don't have time for. Um, so I, I do sort of sympathise with them in that way. But I think it becomes a bit of a problem in some instances because I think there's dignity in work as well. Mm. And I think you also need money to, to function. So you need to go to work for that reason as well. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it's a complicated thing. But I, I there's a kind of nice sort of sense of uh, freedom, I guess, that comes from maybe the idea of not working. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's fine. That's good. And Nick? Yeah, no, I, t- I totally get it. I completely understand this. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons I left the MOD is because it just became increasingly incompatible with my kind of, you know, mental state, really, of feeling that... Um, and your side hustle as a skateboard designer. Exactly. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the, just the, the sense of not having the power or the control to be able to say, look, I don't like... I'm just... I'm not going to work this afternoon. Just... You can say, well, you could have said that, but no, I wouldn't have done and the point is that, that, you know, it ought to be the case that people should feel like, well, you know, I, I, I'm the best at optimising my lifestyle. If I want to work, you know, between three and seven in the morning, um, you know, and take the afternoon off, why why can't I do that? Um, and so I, I, I totally get where people are coming from. Uh, what I'm not sure about is this question of whether or not actually it turns out that, that actually there is some hidden benefit in doing that, you know. And I think one of the interesting things about, which we've we've all learned from the pandemic is that there are lots of hidden benefits to being in the office for example um well let's talk about those yeah uh well so being if we were all to go if we go into the office at the same time nine to five uh you know there are there are things that you learn and relationships you develop and um you know a culture that you can follow which you just this dissipates you know if you're doing it um, if you're doing it entirely virtually. I mean, that's just a, an isolated example where there might be some benefit that, you know, to to that nine to five um, work pattern. But, uh, you know, I, f- I feel like the alternative hasn't really been tried en masse. Mm. You know, uh, perhaps this is a chance to try and reform the way that, you know, the kinds of relationships you have with your employer. Um, to say, you know, well, maybe I, you know, it's easier. More people might say, well, I want to work part time, want to work a certain number of hours a day, uh, but not necessarily when you tell me that, you know, they get, and, and those things are, are sort of priced in. But that 
there isn't really that flexibility. You know, employers aren't trying out new kinds of employment contracts uh, at scale. Not and, so sure. Well, it might be happening, and I think that might be part of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I think uh, it is worth. Um, I think it is interesting drilling into Jordan's point there about um, is you know let's let's assume that the techno utopians are right, and we can end up in a world where robots are doing everything. Well, is would that be better? Like, let's imagine a world where literally you don't have and i want to know if this paul lafargue had wealthy parents i'd sure like to did. know that but uh but I, I you know whether or not a life without work would be in some way worse Let, let's uh, there's a couple of things i want to say so first of all i've had lots of bullshit jobs <laughs> and without fail they all become utterly soul destroying destroying if not on day one certainly by you know six months and god knows i've been through a few um however what i can say is i do have uh, at least a couple of friends from certainly from one of my positions that i was when i was a country risk analyst a couple of them are still really good mates and i see quite regularly so it's you know it was that all together meeting people and actually looking back in some ways it was quite a fun time although it was a bit of a pain in the backside going to the office every day that was miles away it did feel odd um so i think there is something said for that sort of that feeling of friendship and community but hey wouldn't it be nice if if you know hey we all need to build a barn together my community my tribe and we go off and build that barn together with our mates that's yeah is that the same thing there's that there's the whole thing what are we you know what are we doing are we how do we know we're doing something valuable if someone isn't paying us for it kind of thing but just looking at the lifestyle for a moment the, the lifestyle of a working person we have you have to conclude it's pretty unnatural for us for humans to be you know all going into the same big room together mm. and all sitting at a desk and typing it looks nothing like the environment we've evolved mm. in but hunter gatherers don't build computers because they can't because the only way you can get an economy of scale big enough that you know it becomes possible to manufacture um complicated uh, electronics cheaply is by having a, a sort of economic structure like that so until the robots take over i don't see an alternative we can't build artisan computers you know the computers have to be built in big factories with lots of you know people working together at the same enterprise um but yes i know so i just i'm just but i i totally get i mean one of the few things i agree with karl marx uh, on is this alienation you know that the modern day worker is not really you know they're doing something but they're not enjoying the efforts of their labor and i mean they get paid but they're not they're doing something they're they're detached from whereas someone who as you said when you all get together and build a shed well it's your shed now you've got a shed hooray i built that it's my shed um you know the modern the modern industrial or post-industrial economy doesn't give you that you know you're going and doing something abstractly which produces somewhere you imagine a, a product but um you know but you it's not your thing that you made and 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 you know that's a that's an inevitable trade-off to get the benefits i want to come to jordan but maybe there's an aspect here an element here of uh, deferred gratification and compromise which you do your bullshitty job um for a couple of decades and you buy a house which rises in value disproportionately and then you hit your sort of middle age and you retire early and then you go off and sit on some island with with your hammock and it's just you know it's just a trade-off there and you get to have the best of both worlds because you get to have penicillin and your flights and stuff but you also get to sort of flounce around your flip-flops all day yeah maybe that's the answer well the problem if you're a policeman in a film then you die two days before you're about to retire that's the downside of just waiting going on that one end. last call. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Jordan. Um, it sort of also reminds me of like the debates around universal basic income as well and how wealth, how the sort of inbuilt wealth of the system should be distributed to people and whether we should sort of give people a living wage that they can just have without having to work um, as a way of sort of creating a more sort of equitable society as well. So I think, yeah, it's also, there's something about work that is sort of fundamental to like our whole system of society. And it sort of, it questions sort of every part of it, I think, which is, which is quite interesting. I just wondered if we, yeah, I feel like we should just try and answer this question of what would happen if, you know, let's imagine that we've got a situation where, um, you know, robots are so efficient that, um, you know, and Jeff Bezos is so preposterously rich mm. uh, that he just says, OK, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just pay for everyone to have, you know, I'll give everyone £100,000 a year. Um, I'll keep a bit more than that myself, he might say. But, you know, let's take that. You've got, you've got enough income now that you don't have to work at all. What What would you do? What would we do? Yeah. I mean, are we going to become a society of super fit poets and artists? And yeah, um, it reminds me, I've mentioned this before on on, a, on an episode where it's a bit like um, in um, with Judge Dredd, where essentially that's what society is like. Um, everything is provided for if you want it. And we all just turn into a, a bunch of um, blubby, soft skinned, lazy, sloth type. No, I don't want to offend yeah, anyone. That, that sloth thing visitors. About, uh... But well, it's that pu- thing that thing about the robot, isn't there, living on a post-apocalyptic Earth? What's it called? It's an animation. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I keep I wanting to say Finding Nemo, but it's not. It's Wall-E? Space. Wall-E, that's it. When okay. all the humans are living in a spaceship and they're all obese and they just watch screens all day. Yeah. So unlike our current... Nothing like today. But, um, yeah, I know. I, so I, that's my worry. Is that actually in real life? You know, I, I, have all, I have a list of projects that I'll never finish. And I keep thinking, you know, when I when I have some magic time to mm. pursue them, then that would be great. You know, when I don't, when there aren't things I have to do, there's all these things I want to do. But maybe it, that won't happen. Like maybe when I don't have to do them, I might just play board games all day. And mm. uh, even worse than that, when you're not really, when there's nothing you can do that a robot can't do better mm. in some sense. Yeah, maybe you could write a poem, but we'll probably have AIs for that. You know you, what, and you're just existing. You can't even create something useful because everything useful, yeah. you know, you just three D print anything you want. And uh, and you could play chess, but you'd feel a bit. What's the yeah, point like in that? Because better than that. Yeah, than me, I'm just like a performing dog. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, this has implications for what it's like in heaven as well. Actually, um, that's always bothered me, doesn't it? It's like if you've read uh, Julian Barnes' The History of the World in Ten and a Half Chapters. I think it might be the final chapter where he right. wakes up in essentially what is heaven, and um, and inevitably, you know, it's it's. Have you read it? Are you familiar with no, it? But oh, I... it's wonderful. So he starts out having this breakfast, and the egg is just cooked beautifully, <laughs> and you know, it's delivered by this really saucy maid, and 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 he goes out and plays golf, and just gets you know, by the time he's been heaven a while, get he gets eighteen hole in one sort of thing. Yes, but yeah. his his caddy is that what they're called? The, yeah, is just equally enthusiastic the hundredth time that yeah, he's done yeah, yeah. the eighteen hole in ones as he was the first time, you know. And of course, inevitably, it's all a bit. And it, I think it's a good point actually. If everything's amazing and wonderful and beautiful, isn't it life a bit 
boring mm. um i can't believe i'm here arguing for work but yeah. um yeah look where do we go with this we're sort of close we need to kind of wrap up in a way um what do we need to say that hasn't well, been like, said why don't we why don't we speculate about what we do if exactly. we exactly no let's go into that yeah. so i think you've actually already hit upon it there with your board gaming nick but we'll come to that in a second um jordan so let's take a moment we're all going to answer this um here's our kind of round off question what would you do I guess if work was not a necessity, you know, what would your life look like? Where would be, what would Fermanis be up to? Traveling. I think I'd travel a lot more. Um, I'd probably just go on a worldwide adventure um, and just try and get to as many sort of places of interest as I could. Yeah, I think I would just be traveling, probably reading more, writing, doing those sort of things. Um, but yeah, travel would be a big one. What's the big one place that you want to go to? What's your dream? Uh, it's difficult when you come from Australia, right? Because China. I haven't been to China. I'd like to spend a bit of time in China, I think. Being there is rubbish. Don't bother. <laughs> um, okay, so traveling. Yeah. Uh, Nick. Actually, no, I think we should come on to yours last because I okay. think yours will be better than mine. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, I, I actually think, actually, very similar to yours, uh, Jordan. I think... Um, and I've long been pestering my wife about this. Sensibly, she keeps refusing because we don't have the money. But I would. I would just get all the family together, disappear off around the world. I want to go and have adventures. I want to go places. And actually, um, the I've got a bee in my bonnet and have done for years about the South Pacific. I just, I want to go to the South Pacific. And... Um, yeah, it would be kind of um, laser laser around, while away my times, but have lovely times with the kids and my wife and just relax. Maybe find a community of people. But my, my, my problem is like with finding communities. <laughs> yeah, but the only problem with like cults and communities is is invariably the sorts of people who want to form yeah. sort of that kind of community are just like unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, but anyway, just sort of, but I'd like to find a tribe, find a tribe or found a tribe. That's what I'd like. And sometimes when I go camping um, in the summer, there's um, a group of families with whom we go camping. And it's lovely because each... And the, I, I tell this at the time to the people, and they get bored of me saying this, but um, unlike yourselves, who I know are not bored by hearing this right now, <laughs> which is... It, it is that cliche because when we go there, I do a lot of cooking, okay? Um, and it's because I love cooking. But what's great is I don't have to bother with any of the childcare, right? Or washing the plates. I, all I do is cook and tell tell stories, you know? And it's that, I'd like to find that. So that's what I'd like to find, mm. a tribe that was not unbearable and that I could that be- do the, the washing up for you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there must be one somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there must. Somewhere in the Amazon. A tribe yeah. of people who love, who, who yeah. worship uh, washing up. Yes, and, uh, yeah. exactly, exactly. Uh, Nick? Yeah, well, I think the activity that gives me the most like sense of satisfaction is is coding stuff that works oh really uh, there's nothing like it like nothing else you do you know when you write a piece of even a piece of writing that you're happy with you there's always that sense of this could be better but when you want to make a piece of code that does something and it does it it's like that's it i've done i have done that and and, and it's very it's very few activities we can go right I've, I've completed the thing i set out to do so i think i'd like to create computer games uh you know learn how to how to make computer games and do that uh, that it's not much i don't have I don't in what environment traffic. in sitting in north london yeah oh yeah yeah but possibly the pub yeah <laughs> i'd go down to the salisbury get a pint of ipa and sit there and make my dream computer game 
which would be a bit like it would be a, a, re, a bit like civilization but with more realistic economics <laughs> i mean one, how one good are you at coding not not very good I, I mean, I've got. I think I've got the right mentality for it. I'm just not very experienced. Because I don't so. even really understand what coding is. But it's basically writing computer code, right? Making computers. That do, is another way of phrasing pro- what coding is. Yeah. <laughs> making programs do, yeah, making do stuff. Program. Yeah, you've got a computer. You, you want it to do something, and you write the code that makes it do that. Hey, presto! Got an idea. Go on. We should combine our dreams, right? Yeah. Now you do the cooking. I do the coding. <laughs> yeah. He's off somewhere. Jordan, well, <laughs> Jordan is later. going off and saying, "Right, I found this thing. Maybe, hey, I think we'd be a bit like sort of uh, Native Americans before the arrival of Europeans, right? Except Where, with more computer coding. <laughs> yeah, because we kind of want to know what's along the, you know, what's what's low, what's over that horizon. Yeah. We have got Jordan going off, you know, figuring right, that out. Right, the yeah, data, doing a yeah. recce. Yeah. You're designing all the cool games, yeah, um, yeah. and quite happy sitting there. And every now and again, we bring you some fermented yak milk or something. <laughs> Even though yaks are in Asia, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but buffalo milk. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I'm just doing the cookie. Yeah, you know. great. Honestly, I'm well up for that. <laughs> okay, right. On that on that note, I think we should stop there. Um, thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. We've been here with Jordan Fermanis and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time. Goodbye.